Welcome down to my nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. You are listening to Bucks in the Basement. My name's Chris, and Craig here is the biggest Pirates fan you'll ever meet. Let's talk Pirates baseball now. Welcome to Bucks in the Basement. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say one thing, but then the next day. to the nine foot homemade oak bar pour yourself a cold one my name is chris his name is craig i love that song you found that band didn't you that was like a thing that like right when we started this thing a while back you you discover that group yeah actually i they were a couple buddies i used to play pool with up in uh wampum pennsylvania uh the paramount was the bar that was who we played for and and the guy paulie the band still exists wine and spirit they're still out there and uh just it's just a fun song. I so it just kind of fit because like things are always changing in Pittsburgh and they never change. So it just you know what I, it, people are too excited. People are too whipped up. People are. I, I don't think that everybody gets what's going on. And you know, I I like to believe that Pittsburgh sports fans are smarter than what I've seen lately on social media and that I've heard on the airwaves and the way that some some of the commentators on local sports radio are talking about the pirates. And I, I, I like to think that it's a smarter fan base than some of the stuff that I've seen. Look, you lost a hundred games last year. The idea that you were going to win a championship because you started like, what was it? 20 and eight to start. I can't remember exactly how that went, yeah. but I mean that, that, that incredible start, the idea you're going to win a championship. Yeah. Just flip a switch with a bunch of rookies and a couple of guys that were picked up off the scrap heap and no big signings. Like all of a sudden it was just going to happen for you. That's, that's baseball stupid right there. You, you have to look at what the big picture is. The big picture is that over the last couple of years, you've acquired a, a good amount of talent in your minor league system. You've had bad seasons where you've been able to draft really, really high. And now we're seeing all this talent that we were talked to, talk to, to about, all this talent that we were waiting for, starting to make it up to the major leagues, and some of them will be ready to go right away, and some of them will struggle, and some of them will get off to a hot start, and then the league will adjust to them, and they will have to adjust back, and some of these prospects will pan out, and some of these prospects will not. This is the next phase, and to be honest with you, at the beginning of the year, when Ben Charrington said, we're ahead of schedule with that record, that's what he meant. This team wasn't meant to win this year. What did we say in the offseason, Craig? This team, if it could be 500, it would be a massive accomplishment. I don't know if they're going to get to that, but if they, if they what, let's say they improve uh, like by 15 games and they, and they find some of these prospects to be very good that you could just put them in ink 
for next year, these guys in the second half that are going to get an opportunity, and then you're looking at next year saying, okay, I know who my catcher is. I know what my outfield is. I know what my middle infield is. I, I know at least one to two of my starting rotation, and this is what we need to go out and buy or trade for in the offseason. If you have that going in the 2024, you should be happy. If you're expecting more than that, then, then you're, I, I don't know, maybe you're part of that generation like my kids where you think that when you want a TV show, you should just be able to hit the button the TV show comes on. Like you never had to get up and change the channel with your legs and your, and your hands. Everything is instant <laughs> gratification. And maybe that's the group. Maybe the group of instant gratification is the group that thinks you go from a 100-loss season to a division championship in a year because it doesn't happen. No, and and we see what happens to rebuilds. We see what happens. I mean, even look like last year, I think we brought this up in a previous episode, Chris, where Dennis Eckersley had said, you know, we were the hodgepodge of nothingness because he saw what was going on in Kansas City the week before. And you see what's happening to the Royals at this point in time. But before we hopped on, I, I talked about how Quinn Priester's start last night was like the epitome of like Pirates reactionary Twitter. <laughs> Quinn, 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 true, Priest, Quinn Priester comes out for the first three innings, is throwing his sinker. He's locating it. All the pitches are right on mark. And it looks like everybody's just like, oh my God, he's our next ace. He hasn't given up a hit. He's not walking anybody. Like, look at this. And then the next three innings, he gives up seven runs on seven hits. And just kind of looks out of sorts and out of whack. But of course, you know, people go on and, and blame Derek Shelton afterwards for not pulling him after the fifth inning when he is only at 60 pitches. And no, they're like, stupid. And they're like, that's we should stupid. have gotten him out of there quicker. No, I mean, the, Quinn Priester, in my eyes, if anybody listened to the last Meyer League News and Brews I did on Saturday, I talked about how Quinn Priester was kind of like all over the place in – in this season down in Indianapolis, it was like good start, bad start, good start, bad start stuff. Wasn't really working, but the other part is that I think he wasn't polished. So to think he was going to come up here and he could have had like, you know, five solid innings and then taken out. But does that mean that, you know, the next team wouldn't have seen, you know, what he's going to throw and then, you know, jump on him on his next start. So that's where I kind of get into that type of stuff is that, to think that these players are going to come up, like even everybody's, you know, golden boy in Henry Davis. I love Henry Davis, but Henry Davis came up. He played well, started to struggle. The league was pushing back. He was starting to strike out more, wasn't walking as much. And now he's kind of like started to find a, a rhythm again. And he's getting his, you know, average back up there, you know, having good at bats. So I don't know like what people expected here. And I also, I don't want to make excuses for this team in any way. Cause everybody will take this as an excuse. But if you told me, Oh no, Cruz went out like, you know, right after the opening weekend, it was like opening weekend at PNC park. JT Brubaker went out before the season. Rowanzi Contreras completely lost what kind of pitcher he was. Luis Ortiz got sent back down. Do we think that if Luis Ortiz and Ronzi Contreras were still pitching well, that Quinn Priester, number one, would even be here? I'm glad he is because if he's going to be a successful pitcher, he's going to have to learn how to pitch at the major leagues. But you can't expect that that's going to be without some lumps. I don't know, Chris. People just, I mean, are, are absolutely losing their minds. I mean, am I happy about the way that the Pirates are going right now? Absolutely not. But... 
I mean, we've got to the point in the season where, you know, rumblings are supposedly coming out of Brian Hayes' camp. Oh, I don't want I don't even want to hear about that. I don't. Honest to goodness. Listen, get your OPS up to about what the league average is and and be not one of the problems and then your camp can rumble about what's going on. I mean, what what is what is he doing right now where any there's there's any right to have rumblings? And I don't even know if that because that's the thing, it's not coming from him, right? It's it's supposedly coming from his camp. From his, so, from his so, people. His, so his dad, who, who's, who cares? who's Charlie Hayes, is who, never happy about anything. Listen, listen, let me tell you something right now. Brian Hayes his, is a guy who from time to time spends, he spends, a, he spends a fair amount of time on the IL, okay? He's hitting 250 with a 683 OPS. He's got five home runs. He got, a, he, got a, he got a really good contract based off of a very short sample size that he probably wouldn't have gotten if the Pirates would have seen more of him, he wouldn't have gotten the contract that he currently has. I'm not saying it's a bad contract because he may continue to develop into a good player, but if this is all he is, then I, I don't even know if I, I'm excited about what they, what they signed him for and the years that they gave him, a front-loaded contract that he got. So I, I don't want to hear anything, anything from that. He knew what this was. His camp should have known what this was. This is a team that was at the beginning of a rebuild, and he's a guy who came up and got hot in a short season and in a small sample size got a contract signed. I don't, I don't even want to hear it, and I'm going to ignore it, what's coming from his camp. I would rather focus on the glass half full with this team. I understand that you want everything to work right away and be perfect, but I would be far more upset if we weren't bringing up some of these young prospects right now, if we weren't using the second half of the season as a way to find out what we had, what needed to be developed, what you needed to go out and get, that's what this half of the season is for. And, and the Pirates are going about this the right way. They, they are going to sit there now and say, let's see what Andy Rodriguez can do. Let's see how Henry Davis adjusts to the league and how the league adjusts to him. Let's see what Nick Gonzalez has. I mean, his first, what, 30, 40 at-bats, he was like gangbusters. Now, the league's adjusted to him a little bit. He'll have to adjust back. Development isn't linear, and it's going to take time. You know, the Priester start to me was encouraging because if he would have come out and gotten beat up in the first couple of innings, then I've been like, well, this guy sucks, right? I've been like, well, this this guy came up and they're just throwing something at the wall to see if it sticks because they don't have very much going on in their minor league system. The fact that he did well the first time through the order and then the second time through batters made adjustment, welcome to the major leagues, kid. That's why it's so hard to get here. Now he needs to adjust. That's a first start. If he would have gone out and he would have pitched six or seven innings, Craig, and he would have given up like one run and he would have gotten the win, I don't think I would have been overly excited about him because I said first team that he got the face. Let's see what happens with the next team. Just like I'm not going to get down on him because he had a couple of good innings and then he had a couple of bad innings. You have to give guys some time. Guess what the second half of the season is going to be, Pirates fans? It's going to be let guys go out there and learn. You're not going to see an early hook. How does a guy learn how to, how to battle through something if you never give him the opportunity to do it? These games don't matter at this point. That's how the Pirates look at this. Whether you, would, whether you agree with it or not as a fan, these games don't matter anymore. The wins and the losses don't matter. What matters is, are these young players working through the last issues they need to work through 
and finishing the development they need to finish in that final stage, which is making it to the major leagues and getting used to being a major league baseball player. So you have as many of them ready as possible for 2024, because that's the beginning of the window. And, and, and I'll say this, everybody who's listening to this or watching it, because I know now you're doing the video thing as well. Okay, and I love it. It looks great. It's it's a very busy screen that we have going on here. I think it <laughs> looks like I'm on like like some international news or something like that. I got the ticker underneath it. It's amazing. But everybody who's who's listening to the sound of my voice, who thinks that I'm making apologies, I'm not. Let me tell you something right now. The Pirates go into the offseason, and they don't make serious additions to the team to contend in 2024. I'll be the first person to hand out torches and pitchforks and we'll go march down there together because this you waited up until this point you got to this season now you're going to get these young guys coming up now you're going to find out what works and what doesn't work you're still going to have some capital down in your minor leagues that you can make trades with you have plenty of room for this billionaire to give enough money to make additions that are meaningful to the team what i want to see the pirates do as an organization is develop their players with wins and losses not mattering as much, even though I'd like to see more wins and losses because I don't want to see a 100-loss season. I want to see them win some games. But I want to see them have their group together, know what they're going to take into 2024, identify the needs, and then go out and address those needs. So 2024, as I said, in 19, 20, 21, 22, in the beginning of 23 on this show, I've been saying it now for years, 2024 starts the window. May not be wide open, but it's at least a get out there and compete and have a winning record and be in the race for the majority of the season and maybe make it to the postseason and at the trade deadline be buyers and not sellers. That's what I expect in 24. There's work to be done. I will be upset if it's just bring up these kids and then it's the same kind of offseason we've seen for the last couple of years. That's when I will get upset. I'm not getting upset until then. No, and there's really no reason to, Chris. And, I mean, there has actually been some positive things, you know, that people, I mean, they're kind of talking about, but it's it's overwhelmed by, you know, the just disgust. Because, I mean, we have seen so many losing seasons here in Pittsburgh. It's it's not easy to be a Pirates fan at times. But one player I want to point out, if, if we're going to stick with, like, the high road stuff, and that would be uh, Johan Oviedo. Johan Oviedo is a guy that – you know, we saw have some good starts at the beginning of the season, start to struggle a little bit in May because pretty much everybody struggled in May. And Chris, we look at whip and, and that's like one of the things that we really focus on. His whip was, you know, fairly serviceable in the beginning of the season. In May, I believe it was like a 1.45. So it started to show, you know, just a little bit of struggles, but he's a guy that hasn't been a starting pitcher for an entire season. You go into June it drops into like the 1.09 and then in July, it's like a 1.25. Yeah. He's not doing well. It's I think somebody put a crazy stat out there that like in the first inning, he gets blown up and then he, he kind of sticks around like his ERA in the first inning is, is astronomical, but his whip for the season is now a 1.36 in his first year as a full-time starter in the major leagues. I think that's something that, is is kind of positive coming out of this. I mean, we were hoping that Rolanzi or Luis would be another one of those guys to be there and to be performing as well. I mean, we still have Mitch Keller, but that's something that I would kind of want to point out as a little bit of a positive in this is that, you know, 
there's a pitcher out there that actually is doing fairly well. And if he can get things under control in the first inning or, you know, just pitch a little bit better when he starts to open the game, then, you know, you've got maybe a pretty good find there. So, I mean, I don't know, Chris, and like you said, yeah, we well, ha- it's all, it all comes down to the rotation, right? I mean, like, right. I mean, it all comes out. That's what the, that's what they have to do. I mean, look, look what the Cardinals just came out and said today. Their president of baseball operations basically said the second half of the season is lost. Even if we went on an eight game winning streak, it's not going to change what I'm going to do. I'm going to move on from short-term contracts and I'm going to attack finding pitching for next year. It doesn't it sound familiar? That's kind of what the pirates have to do here in the second half. We're both sitting at basically the same record. They're realist. You be realist. I think they wish they had what we had right now. If you are a Cardinals fan, you look over at the pirates and be like, look at all this young talent. You, sh- you should be able to build on that very quickly. But what is your flaw? Pitching, just like what the Cardinals have right now. They've got to find pitching. They're going to lose Wainwright because uh, he's retiring. They're going to lose Flaherty. They're going to lose Montgomery. And they-, they don't have very much pitching. You look at what the Pirates have, we got Mitch Keller. Mitch Keller is an ace, but not like a superstar ace yet. Could get there. I always define my superstar aces as guys that take the ball when your team is on a slide and go out and pitch eight or nine innings and give the bullpen a rest and are just lights out. There's only a few of those guys out there. He's had a complete game this year and a couple of games where he's getting to the seventh or eighth inning. So you can see the potential there. So go ahead and pencil him in in the one spot. Oviedo, if he just continues what he's doing in his trend, is at least a four or a five on a good team. Quinn Priester is a, we don't know what he's going to be. That's why you're going to give him the second half of the season to see what you have. You just hope that he's also in your rotation. Three, four, five. That's what he is. All right. And Anthony Solometo might get here midway through next year. If he continues a trend he's on because he, he, he got promoted and he started pitching well right out of the gate. So who knows, but, but you don't have a lot. I mean, Contreras, you don't know what's going to happen with this guy. You had, you had a really good flash, but you don't know what it is long-term. You have questions. The Pirates must understand this, and I, I think that's where the investment has to be in the offseason, and that's why you want to see what Priester has because you want to know, well, what do I really need to get? Do I need to get one pitcher? Do I need to go out and get two pitchers? What's my budget? Can I go and splurge on one big name to put up there next to Keller? So I've got, I've got two guys that are 1-2 that are legit 1-2s or 1-A and 1-B. And then, then I could fill in with the rest of them? Or am I so shallow, because Priester isn't going to be able to do it, that I've got to spread that money around and, and I can't go for the, the bigger thing that I'd like to go and get? That's why you have to do what you're doing here in the second half. I believe they're going to spend. I don't think they're going to get crazy. But I don't think that they're going to be at the bottom of the league after this offseason. You didn't do all of this to not say, okay, now we need to add this piece, this piece, and this piece. Pitching is the key. And you may see pitching acquired in trades. Some of these prospects that you fall in love with, they may be gone in the offseason to go grab pitching, right? I would love if right now, while you have teams that are selling, if you could get your hands on a guy that there's a couple of years of control of over, I would go out and give, and give prospects to him, right? I would go find somebody who's got a couple of years of control left that a team might be looking to move. The White Sox in Chicago, there's rumors that they may move on from Dylan Cease even though there's a couple of years of control, you know, and they're looking for prospects like that. That's the kind of capital you have right now. Imagine if you were able to do something like that. I mean, that's pie in the sky, but imagine <laughs> if you're looking at those kind of, those kind of options, he doesn't cost a lot of money for the next couple of years. And, and they, they never work well with Scott Boris. 
He, he will take everybody to free agency, especially with that team. There's a big falling out between ownership and the, and the agent. So they move on from Boris clients well before they get to that last year of the contract. You know, it, you, the, the, these are the things that I'm looking for. What are you going to do? How are you going to acquire pitching? You got to figure out what you have in the second half, but then I expect moves. I expect money spent and I expect moves so that you have a legit contending team in 24. Yeah, and I mean that's where we kind of have to be. And and like you said, Chris, if they don't spend in this off season, or if, and if we're talking about this same stuff at this time next year, this is the part where I will get disheartened. And people can say this is year three, four, whatever it is of the rebuild. It, it's it, it is what it is at this point in time. Not every rebuild is the same. The Houston Astros, I know they spent at some point in time, but they had you know four years of absolute collapse. The the uh, Baltimore Orioles had however many years of the complete collapse. And for somebody not to like bring up our fantasy stuff here, but I have like two or three <laughs> Baltimore Oriole pitchers on my team who were struggling last year in their initial, like breaking into the majors in a Kramer in a Wells. And now those are the teams that are kind of leading my fantasy team to well, not the bottom of the barrel. I, I'm not. I'm not the worst team in the league anymore. But that's just kind of where that kind of stuff comes in. Everybody will talk about like the excitingness of like an Adley Rushman, of uh, Gunnar Henderson, Colton Cowser, all these guys that are coming up, like the offensive part. But for me, like it, pitching is is just so paramount here as to to be able to have that continued success. So, I mean, I mean, one player that we didn't mention in there is Jared Jones. Jared Jones, also super young, brought him up to Indianapolis, has pitched good and bad there, but is also, I mean, has been fast-tracked. And that's something that Ben Charrington, like, has been doing here to kind he of... He has to. He has to. He doesn't have enough pitching. Yeah, to but try to get this to. thing moving. you ever see me out and about in Pittsburgh, you will always recognize me. And not just because of the white beard, but also because of the Y that is always on top of my head. The hat I always wear. The Yin's brand. Proud partners with Bucks in the Basement. Three dynasties. One brand. Yin's. Finally, one brand to rep all black and gold. Follow at Shop Yin's for new merch drops and giveaways. Order online at www.shopyins, the emphasis on the two Zs, high quality comfort, lightweight materials, a new modern look for the black and gold, made for Yins by a Yinzer. This, this is the one flaw in the rebuild is the lack of pitching. The pitching depth is, is not developed in the way that it needed to develop. So that's what you're going to have to spend on or you're going to have to get creative when it comes time to making deals to ramp up your pitching. Like we talked for the last couple of years that this team should mirror itself in an awful lot of ways in how the Tampa Bay Rays do business because the Rays have a low payroll and the and Bob Nutting's never going to spend. And I don't I don't like that. You know, I I would love to have an owner that spent money. You want to place the ills of the Pirates on Bob Nutting's shoulder. By all means, I'll lift you up so you can get a really good position to lay them on his shoulders. It's on him. 
He's cheap. But if you if you look at what the Rays did, they kicked off the season with a starting five in which four of them were injured by the end of the first month, and they never stopped because of the amount of pitching depth that they had. And so pitching is such a key. It's a key to everything, and it's the thing that we're falling behind on. We're, we're behind. This whole build is lacking the, the, the big stellar arms that are ready to go right now. The fact that it's just really Priester, right, instead of like two, three guys coming up here. You know, you, 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 you need to find more arms and you need to get your arms here as quickly as possible. It's the key to everything. And every team in Major League Baseball knows it. So it becomes, it becomes on the general manager, the onus becomes, how do I creatively get pitching? And I think their money is going to get spent on pitching. That, that has to be the plan. If there's money, if there's an increase in payroll when the rebuild is over and Charrington gets to go to Nutting and say, okay, fine, I did all of this. But now we need to be a big boy ball club, and I need to go and do this. And if that's the plan, which you hope that it is, because otherwise all of this was for nothing. It honestly was. You were never going to build a 26-man roster and, and the minor league system on shoestring budget that was ever going to be. You, you, you're going to have to go spend at some point. If that's the case, I would imagine the majority of the money is going to be spent on pitching, which is, again, why you have a priester up here right now. Okay, because you you have to you have to see what you have. Yeah, and that's like the biggest thing is if everybody says like this season, you know, record wise is is kind of becoming similar to you know the previous two years, but the roster construction is completely different. Like if Luis Ortiz and Ronzi Contreras, so two guys that you were counting to be in the starting rotation, like went out in the past couple years, it would have been. Bryce Wilson and and Zach Thompson, or if you want to equate it to, you know, who we have in the minor league system at this point in time, it would have been, you know, Cam Aldred, who's not done terribly down in, in Indianapolis, but it wouldn't be, you know, those top level types of prospects. If, you know, Rodolfo Castro is not performing, it, it would have been, you know, a Josh Van Meter put in there. It wouldn't have been, you know, Nick Gonzalez, Leover Peguero being brought up, a Henry Davis, Andy Rodriguez, like you wouldn't see, it would just be like a lot of the, you know, quad a depth pieces. So, I mean, I kind of have to say at this point in time, like if you've come this far, I don't know how you can just basically be like, well, this is, this is failing. This is dumb. This is done. I I can't get to that point when I haven't seen, you know, even, you know, 200 plate appearances from a Henry Davis or a Nick Gonzalez. How do you, how do you evaluate them on what they're doing right now? I mean, I look at Henry Davis and I say, okay, fine. When he's got uh, 98 plate appearances, he's got a 756 OPS. He's above league average. He's, he's, he's new to the league. That's positive. Like I look at that and I go, okay, well, there he is. He, he, he came in and he didn't fall flat on his face. There's a lot of prospects who come up and hit like 150 for like a year. And teams are like, oh my gosh, we drafted this guy really high. We got to keep playing him. And the guy's hitting 175 for an entire year. Like, it happens. So, I mean, like, I, you know, you're, you're, people are waiting for him to come walking up here and hit 320 and somehow in the second half have 25 bombs. And it's just like, because he's, he's Henry Davis. It, it's the unrealistic perception of prospects and development. He's not a finished product yet. And so I'm encouraged by the fact that he's slightly above league average. Nick Gonzalez is slightly below league average, still has an OPS over 700, okay? You know, I'm I'm looking at it saying, you have pieces. I like what Jack Sawinski's done this year. I mean, I know he's hitting 224, but anybody that's got an OPS over 800, 
that's going to hit the, you know, 30 to 35 home runs this year in your outfield. Sign me up. You didn't have that last year. So this, this, is, the, this is what a build is. Unless all of a sudden an owner came in, let's say, who, you know, was a multi-billionaire and walked in and signed 15 free agents, this is how you build. Yeah, and you kind of like have to watch it play out. And like I said, I'm it, at least somewhat, I, I think it gives us something to watch. Obviously, you know, you don't want to see a bunch of 11 nothing games when it's like the debuts of Quinn Priester and Andy Rodriguez. Right. But I mean, it does put a little bit of a damper on it. And I can understand why fans get upset about that kind of stuff. But like, it's it's better to have these guys up here now, find out what you have, get them prepared so that when you're walking into 2024, you at least have an idea, like you said, Chris, of where the holes exist to get these guys to, you know, at least have that pushback. Like, you know, you may have that, some of that success in the beginning, get a little bit of a pushback, you know, and then you push back and we're not doing that, you know, at the beginning of next season, these players are already getting their feet wet. They're already, you know, getting to, to show what they have. I mean, if, if I'm, you know, Ben Sherrington, because we know that he's the one that like, I mean, he, I know Derek Shelton makes the rosters, but Ben Sherrington puts the roster together. Oh yeah. So, I mean, if, if you have like last I'm night, I'm sure Ben Sherrington tells Derek Shelton, I'd like this guy to play more. I'm sure Ben Sherrington tells Derek Shelton, like this guy's meant to be in this portion of the order, or you know what? I would rather you leave that pitcher out there because I need to see what he can do when he's in a bad spot. There's a, there's a massive influence from the front office on any manager. Yeah. And that's like, that's, that's today's baseball. I mean, it's just kind of how it runs together. But I mean, if we're running out the same roster that we ran out last night for the remainder of the season, I would be happy to watch that just to know, you know, how these guys are doing, how they're adjusting, you know, doing different stuff. And I mean, even Derek Shelton has come out. I mean, everybody should be happy at this point in time because he said that Endy's our catcher. Everybody was a super upset that Henry, you know, wasn't our catcher from the jump. But like you said, Henry's not a finished product. Everybody that's been listening to this has, has to have known that we've been saying for months now is that Endy was ahead of Henry catching wise. Andy was going to catch. It's not saying that, you know, Henry's not going to catch because they've come out and said, Andy's the main catcher. Hedges is going to catch, you know, a couple times a week. And we'd like to fit Henry in there towards the end of the season, because I mean, that's the goal of the team. So like, that's the thing that drives me nuts is Ben Sherrington is actually, they talk about him doing GM speak all the time. He's actually pretty like open. If you like, if you listen to him of what's going on, it's like, He's telling Derek, like Andy, if we're bringing Andy up, he's going to catch. Derek comes out and says, you know, Andy's going to catch. So it's it's very transparent. And go- I love I love the setup of the catchers. I know that it's it's an unpopular thing, but I kind of love it because I know that long term the feeling must be that Andy's the catcher and Henry Davis is a catcher, and you don't need to carry any other catchers. But when one of them isn't playing the catcher position and they need a break for their knees. They're playing the outfield. Like they're both fully capable of taking an outfield spot. So in reality, you have Reynolds, Zawinski, and one of them in the outfield, and the other one is a catcher. And that's likely your long-term way that you're going to configure things. Like a lot of teams have, you know, a catcher that you could have an all-star catcher, but that all-star catcher is going to what? Catch like 140 games. You're still going to have to deal with the backup for 40 games. 
That's 40 games where you have a subpar player, a player who's not one of the best 32 catchers in the league. But what they can have is they could possibly have two high-end catchers and never see a drop-off in games when somebody needs a break. I, I would imagine the long-term goal is that you could see a split over 162 games of something along the lines of like, you know, 55% to 45% between the two of them, but they're both basically in the lineup almost every day. And it makes your team stronger. If that's what the goal is, how can you be upset about that? I mean, look, look you're not a traditional team. A traditional team has ownership that spends on the team. A traditional team is able to go out and get high-priced free agents. A traditional team, you know, goes out and signs somebody every year at four to five years and 60 to $75 million. That, that's not what this team is. So if you're going to be successful, you either have to have the owner wake up one morning and decide he's going to sell to somebody who's more serious than he is, or... Your general manager has to think outside of the box. We said this when Charrington got the job. Remember this? I said, you can be excited about a new GM, but all I really care about is, is the guy going to work within the constraints of his owner? If he understands what he needs to do within the constraints of ownership and how much money is going to be spent, and he actually thinks outside the box and finds ways to stretch a dollar and make his team versatile, then that's a good thing. If he doesn't do that, he'll fail. We said that years ago when he was hired. Okay, and I don't know if he's going to fail. I, the, the jury's still out, but I at least see an attempt at doing things a little differently, and, it, and there's a logic behind it. Yeah, and I think a piece of it, Chris, is even that, you know, you cannot like what the person is saying, but you have to at least listen to it. And if they're being open and honest that Henry Davis, they said, and I've heard, for, and we had people on that talked to scouts that said he wasn't going to be ready to catch for at least another full year, Full t- like even full-time or part-time, you can't blame the Pirates if that's what they're doing. Maybe he's just not ready. And if they said that Endy is ahead of him and is going to come up, guess what? He's going to catch. So they're kind of doing what they're saying they were going to be doing. You just may not be happy with the result. Right. Look, if you want to find a bad general manager, look at this guy here sitting next to me. Your fantasy team's terrible. You going to compete next year, maybe? Maybe. You're going to rebuild again. Trade deadline's a week away, my friend. Get on it. I'm going to try to. It's-